Hey everybody, this is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. Now, I hope everybody likes the new and improved podcast podcast sound with a new fancy mic. And also, I if you haven't gone and watched the video version of the podcast, you can go do that over on YouTube, usually around the same time that the podcast drops, the video version will come out. So if you prefer to watch these or put them on in the background in YouTube as opposed to a podcast player, I just thought it would be more, you know, fun, cool thing since I can do these recordings with two small pieces of software instead of one on slightly better computer that I came into possession of and you can get a great sounding, great looking thing to entertain you. So on that note, thanks to everybody who listened to who listened and or watched the um, episode last Thursday on the new version of Shaman King. I really had a way better time than I expected watching that show. But today, for the Sunday edition, what we're going to be talking about is a lovely new thing that got finalized. And if you've if you've listened to these Sunday editions for any amount of time, you probably know what I'm burning to talk about. And that is <sighs> Funimation bought Crunchyroll. Or more specifically, Sony, the company that owns Funimation, bought Crunchyroll from the company that owns Crunchyroll, AT&T, and the government let it go through. Now, I've use this podcast as kind of like a loudspeaker for a couple things that I personally believe based on my knowledge of the world and my way of going through the world. But what I really want to stress here and what I've stressed in every other iteration of me talking about, you know, anime being consumed into one giant mega Zaibatsu corp is... The, the pipe dream that lots of nerds have with, say, you know, Disney buys Marvel and then turns around and buys DC and, like, everybody's a happy family. And it's just one big mega corporation, mega company that produces all this stuff. But because they have access to everything at once, it's all so much fun and so much more interesting than it was when it was just when the competition between the two sides were, was happening. But to disprove that, you don't really need to look that hard. If you And I'm going to use um, DC as an example here. So if you've followed DC Comics for any... If you followed DC and Marvel Comics for any pe period of time, you'll probably notice that Marvel Comics, especially now, have been getting a lot of praise for the diversity in their character lineup, in their everything. They got so much cred for, um, what's it called? For their, for Black, for the Black Panther movie. The, the only reason we probably don't only have one 
is because Chadwick Boseman died, unfortunately, of, I believe, complications of um, colon cancer. But the bottom line is they they got a ton of street cred for making a, a big black superhero movie. But you turn around and you look at um, and you look at DC. DC has scores of black characters, of characters of color, of characters of Asian descent, and all these different treatments of each. If you look even now, if you go watch, um, if you go watch Titans on HBO Max. They just decided to make Starfire a badass black lady and not like a light-skinned, socially acceptable, Halle Berry, like, black girl from the suburb. Like, no. She, they opened that show on her and they opened that show with her, like, her waking up in a very skimpy dress in a hotel room where everybody's dead. She wakes up in the middle of some ghetto shit and has to, like, figure her way out from there. And what they're doing with her character and her older sister, Blackfire, is very much like a... Black girls kicking ass and taking names and, like, dealing with their own internal shit. In a way that they don't really tackle with um, character with lots of characters in Marvel so directly. The same is true of um, of what's it called of um, the Green Lantern from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoon. He is a black man from America in all the ways that that works. And it's very clear that they are writing that into his character. I forget his, um, John Stewart is the name of that character. But what, or even a character like Static Shock, who, yes, this is the icon problem with Static Shock, but he, he is one of a handful of characters who were written to be black superheroes in a really meaningful way, and I've talked about Static Shock before on this podcast. You can go find me talking about it, I believe, on a Sunday show. Um, that show is like a mile a minute. That cartoon from the early off is a mile a minute. They like keep checking their watches, like, have we done some wild shit in a couple episodes? No? Okay, let's make, <laughs> let's make somebody's dad super racist. <laughs> Um, and just have that conversation. Let's talk about, like, gay indoctrination and the good and the bad and have that conversation. And that show doing that meant so much more with it doing that than when, say, something like something of the same era, Batman Beyond did it because they were doing it with characters where... It was, re it was like a real deal. Like when Virgil was being like, say like, Hey man, I can't, I can't keep, I can't keep watching your back. If you joined us, if you like, you know, s signed up with the cause, we'd, we'd, 
that would come with the that come with the bandana, so to speak. But my point here is is that if if Disney really did buy DC and did own all the properties, I don't think you would get the same kind of output from DC. You would get the same kind of honest depiction of African American representation from DC that you're getting now. I think you would get a more Disney, slightly whitewashed, slightly, you would get that, you'd get some variation of that um, Black Lives Matter playlist on Disney Plus, if you've ever seen it, which is like, that, that playlist is wild and sends people over the edge, I'm sure, daily. Um, but you would get, and that's not, it's not Disney as a company's job to do that stuff, but that stuff needs to be done by somebody because the audience is there and the, and the audience need and want for that kind of entertainment is there. And if they're not having, if they're, if they're not being represented, then that's, then that's a problem. And the more that companies get assumed and bought up and um, what's, what's, the, what's the phrase? The um, gets assumed, bought up and there's less and less companies out, out in the world to do what we want to do, to do what needs to be done the less people have voices and the more specific the voices are to what the company that did the buying believes is right. So a perfect example with um, Crunchyroll and with Funimation. Funimation is a licensing company. They are, they have always been a licensing company. They've always been kind of the biggest, they've always been the elephant in the room of anime licensing. And what I mean by that is they've always been they've always been the one that's gonna survive no matter what. You know, um ADV went south, um any number of anime companies. Like manga video is like a shambling mess owned by I believe Stars, a programming channel or whoever owns Stars owns also owns manga video. But like manga video is not a small name. Manga video put out Ghosts in the Shell, the original Ghosts in the Shell. That's a big deal. And what ended up happening is they they just didn't keep it together. And they didn't have enough stuff of similar size for you to be like, oh, they're not promoting Ghosts in the Shell really well, but they're promoting this really well, so I can just go buy this. The And actually, I think manga video might have been conceived simply to put out Ghost in the Shell. Now, that's part of the reason why it didn't super work as a company. But Funimation has always been the elephant in the room of anime distributors, of anime licensors in America. And what that means for a company like um, Crunchyroll is they don't... Crunch, Crunchyroll started as a bunch of fans and then evolved into a streaming company and then went legal.
basically. And that leads Crunchyroll to take different leaps and flights of fancy than Funimation would. That leads Crunchyroll to produce something like High Guardian Spice, which say what you want about that show, that was Crunchyroll trying to, if we ever see it, that is Crunchyroll trying to put something out into the world, put some sort of creative outlet into the world, which is a huge deal. And they've done it with, they've done it with, um, by sitting on the production committees of things like Jujutsu Kaisen, of various other shows. And if you've ever wondered, like, why is Tonikawa being crammed down my throat right now? It's because that's a Crunchyroll original thing. Jujutsu Kaisen was as well. So with Dr. Stone, they sat on the um, production committee of Dr. Stone also. Um, but, and say what you want about them. They have their, believe me, they have their own problems. But they were the other player. And when it comes to streaming, they were the big player. You know, it was, largely it was Crunchyroll, Funimation, if you could tolerate Funimation's website and player, and um, Hi Guys is it, like a distant third. And there are there are other there are other options like Retro Crush and um, and Verve and um, there's one other one that's an orange logo that I can't think of right now, but. By and large, Crunchyroll was the big answer to streaming. And Sony bought, and Sony actually bought Funimation out from, I forget what company was the umbrella company for Funimation before Sony bought them. But as far as I understand, for a very long time, Funimation has had an umbrella company owning it. But the thing that should tip you off here is that I didn't know who owned Funimation. I knew that they, someone owned them, but I didn't know who. But I did know who owned Crunchyroll. And now I do know, and I and then I did know who owned Funimation. It was AT&T, a mobile phone provider, and Sony, maker of basically any electronic you want to buy. <laughs> These are two giant companies and one giant company bought something from another giant company. That doesn't usually spell great things for consumers and for the fans of a medium, especially since those companies, Sony, while it is a Japanese company, while it certainly probably does produce some anime, some anime, like you have seen their logo as part of the like, last screen before the show starts after the OP in shows before it's not an animation studio and Sony of America certainly isn't an animation studio and the result there is they are shrinking the pipe of how stuff can get to us and by shrinking the pipe, they control the pricing and they control what gets licensed and they also play judge and jury for what can get licensed. Now, Funimation had a big, had a big screw up recently. 
in the licensing of interspecies reviewers, which I actually bought the um, the limited edition steelbook because as far as I'm concerned, that thing is part of anime history at this point because it is, I cannot express to you how insane it is. They were like, whoops, we licensed porn. Um, it's, it's wild. Like, I, I just want to, as like a weird curiosity, be like, you can't, you, you can't erase this. But originally, before it was, you know, rumored that it, before it was even rumored that Funimation was going by Crunchyroll or the other way around, that rumor existed for a while too. Crunchyroll and Funimation came to the table together and said, we're going to strike up a partnership. And the reason why they wanted to do this was because it was in kind of the same time frame as um, Netflix had spent over a million dollars or was being rumored to be considering to spend over a million dollars to license Ava. And anime is a niche market in everywhere, including in Japan. Million dollar offerings for licensing fees is something that you'd do if you were trying to license something that was considered to be a mono, a monocultural thing, like The Office, like Friends, like these big things that everybody knows even if they've never seen them, like Seinfeld. But, and Seinfeld hilariously has fallen out of that because it's just, it's just on at some point somewhere on, on New York television. But the bottom line is that most animation studios, most street, most anime streaming services don't necessarily have the kind of funds to be spending a million dollars on something that's not Pokemon and Pokemon just broadcast its own shit to everybody any way it pleases anyway, so that's besides the point. And also I think that um, Indi the Indigo League, the first season, the one everybody kind of wants, is on Netflix anyway. So they teamed up so they could control the pricing, basically. They could go in and they could say, we, we will both pay this much for this, and Crunchyroll will handle the subs and Funimation will handle, will handle the, du the dubs, which made total sense. And it wasn't, it wasn't a permanent marrying of their company and it wasn't a, um, it was something that they were doing in the interest of the health of the industry, which is admirable and great and hurrah. That's the kinds of things that companies should do if they want to better, if if they want to better serve their um, street, the their clients, you know, like lofty business sense. But the difference here is that it's not is that at the end there's not there's still not two new comp there's still not two companies at the end of this. There's one company. Once they do all the mergers, saying. The Crunchyroll website could disappear. The Funimation website could disappear. The players could get merged. 
who knows what happens at the end. Everybody's working in the same goddamn building. That's what I'm trying to say. And there's no clear benefit for us, the viewers. There's no benefit for you and me when we, you know, log on to Crunchyroll or log on to Funimation or when that when that Crunchyroll X Funimation partnership was happening. One of the things they did, and it, I think it only lasted like six months, is they dropped the pricing on both Funimation, on the both Funimation subscription and Crunchyroll subscription, which meant that if you're a crazy person like me who does this, who does exactly this because I watch all the things because I make stuff like this every week, I got to save a little bit of money, not a, not a super large amount of money, but like maybe half per, per subscription on each service. That was a net benefit, a net good to a business decision for me, the consumer. There has been no announcement of dropping of pricing, of changing of pricing, because they are, because they because they are merging, since this has happened, which is really interesting considering that's what they did when they just did a simple partnership. And someone, someone at either of those companies probably like, hey, we we should really drop our pricing again because that's what we did when we when we shared the goal of controlling pricing in the industry. And the other thing that's bad about this is right now, the pricing for anime is set by the market. And I'm not talking about the pricing for licensing, I'm talking about the pricing of DVD, of like DVD, Blu-ray box sets. And what's interesting about anime is a couple years ago, um, it went out a bunch of years ago at this point because my brain has warped. Whenever that show, um, I want I want to be the best in the world, the um, the the um, fan servicey female wrestling show came out. That show was actually produced by um, Universal Studios. Um, so was uh, Keijo, which is a personal um, fan servicey psychotic thing favorite of mine. Um, but whenever that came out, you, those were produced by Universal. And the reason why Universal explicitly got into anime was anime is one of the only gross physical products left in the home video market because it's a collector's market. We collect Blu-rays and DVDs and laser discs and vinyl records and all that stuff because it functions like a fandom market, not like a TV watcher's market. Um, it, you can see this with the um, with G Kids release of the new limited edition box set for Evangelion. That thing is a collector's item. It's not. It, you can watch it absolutely. They want you to watch it. They give you. They give you the Blu-rays, but it's a collector's edition and it's priced like that it's something i think right now like i think like 275 dollars is the introductory pre-order price um 
I'm I'm not a big enough fan of Ava to go for that, but it's still interesting they like got the license and they went for it. Now what that could turn into is you could see Blu-ray price pricing go up because now two companies that were there that could have been producing shows and controlling that pricing could um, go are now one and that pricing is control is controlled by less people. In addition to that, pricing for streaming could go up because once again, you used to have about three more main, you used to have two, two options for places to stream things. Now you only have one. The, now granted, yes, they do have a whole hell of a lot more buying power together than apart. But as we've seen before, that could be done without purchasing of one another's companies and have more benefit to us, the viewer. Now, I'm not going to say that capitalism is the ultimate evil here. I try to not be that insane. What I am going to say, though, is that generally when a company buys another company, it's not for the benefit of the consumer. It's for the benefit of the company to be able to make the most money off of each consumer. And one of the reasons why the U.S. Justice Department stopped, like, put a pause on this, took a look at it, and then was like, okay, we don't super understand this, it seems fine, whatever, is because there's a lot of monopolization happening. There's a lot of consolidation, and consolidation was the word I was looking for earlier, um, happening in the media market. And that's because all of these companies are realizing, hey, this stuff isn't, like, these individual properties are like brands. They are not, and these companies that own all these individual properties, like Marvel has Iron Man, Hulk, Spider-Man, X-Men, um, Captain America, uh, Miss Marvel, all that stuff. All of those are like brands and people show up for those brands because they've grown up reading them and they have, they're familiar with them and they're loyal to them. In the same way that Green Lantern is a brand, in the same way that, you know, Teen Titans is a brand. You can sub that out for anime. You can sub that out for One Piece, Bleach, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, My Hero Academia, Jujutsu Kaisen. All of those are brands. And the more of those that you can control, the more money you can make yourself in the long term. So, that's why they, that's why, fun. That's why Sony has an interest in owning both Funimation and um, Crunchyroll. Because those are the two biggest, and those are the two biggest interaction points with 
the IP with the brand IPs of anime. Yes, you can watch stuff on, um, you know, Retro Crush. You can go watch Metabots on Retro Crush right now for free. Um, you can watch stuff on um, High Dive. But by and large, the two biggest places people are watching anime exclusively, not anime and other stuff like Netflix right now, is Funimation and Crunchyroll. So what Sony looks at this as doing is like, we already own Funimation. Nobody's at the wheel for the for the Federal Trade Commission, seemingly. They'll let anybody do anything. That's how freaking Disney exists in the way it does now. That's how HBO Max exists in the way it does now. Um, that's how, hell, that's how Facebook exists in the way it does now. Um, we can go after Crunchyroll. And if we can own them, too, we will... I would bet they probably own... They probably quietly own close to, if not over, 50% of anime streaming revenue right now. Based on having bought Crunchyroll and having already owned Funimation. Um, that's a huge deal. That means that we are all paying to build to the same restaurant right now. And may for a long time to come. And the reason why, as far as I can tell, no one's stopping this stuff, no one's stopping, you know, Disney from purchasing everything except for its own line of movie theaters is um, they, no one's caught up to it. No, no one looks at a show like Jujutsu Kaisen. No one looks at a show like Dragon Ball Z and says, that's an IP, that's a brand, that's a industry into itself. And this company owns five Dragon Ball Zs. It, 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 it's, a main, it's a main entry point for five Dragon Ball Zs. It's a main entry point for Naruto, Bleach, Dragon Ball Z. One Piece, Hero Aka, the the list, the the Shonen list, Demon Slayer. You know, Crunchyroll makes its money off of all of that stuff, and the more you identify that watching those properties with that um service. The better it is for Crunchyroll. And now the better it is for Funimation and ultimately Sony. The big deal. And you know, it's not and um This is another this is another old guise of anime thing now that we make that we all remember when we all yelled at you said, Hey, you go see James Cameron's baby in theater and we all told you to go see Battle Angel Alita, I would bet most of us will go tell you, hey, it's Funimation buying Crunchyroll is not the dream. It's the start of the nightmare. It's everything just got harder to cover. Everything just got harder to access. You know, 
press events will probably be more difficult and less transparent for any anime licensed by now the Zaibatsu company of anime, Sony. Um, and it's all going to be more difficult. And that's not even to bring up the issues of anime licensing has some serious problems. Under underpaid under underpaid translators, under underdeveloped technology behind it. Will any of that get fixed? Uh, probably not. I would I would I would lean on the not end. I would lean on not giving them um, the benefit of the doubt because they don't they haven't really earned it. And on that note, my name has been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox. You this has been I need to remember to say that that way because it's a video show too now. Um, this has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. New episodes come out both on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast every Thursday and Sunday. Sunday is more like this. It's a more metatextual, more industry, more fandom-based show where um, Thursday is more of a review show. Next Thursday, I'm going to be talking about the second season of No Guns Life, which I'm currently making it through and having a lot of fun with so definitely look forward to that but until then i will talk to you on third day